On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, bad news for Virgil van Dijk, Liverpool, and Mesut Ozil. Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark along with Marcus once again. Marcus, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. All right. Uh, well, we just wrapped up uh, Champions League match day one, and yeah, Real Madrid lost, and uh, there was uh, plenty of excitement, but uh, pretty run of the mill. So we aren't going to dive too much into that. The only thing I'll say about it is Bayern Munich got off to a roaring start. Um, I think they pretty much clinched their group on the first match day, beating Atletico Madrid for nothing. And uh, Thomas Mueller called Atletico Madrid the biggest thugs in Europe or something along those lines. Just kind of thought that was funny. But the biggest news came from the weekend with Virgil van Dyke's ACL injury. Um, he has had surgery, right? Has he had the surgery yet? Um, uh, we're not quite sure if he's had the surgery yet. I don't think so as of uh, Thursday afternoon. Right. But, either way, uh, it's, it's imminent. Yeah. Either way, he's out uh, months. Uh, you know, at this point, you probably maybe are hoping he can play for uh, his national team during the Euros next summer. That would be probably a quick, a quick uh, road back. So uh, devastating news for Liverpool, who were sh- shaky uh, in defense to begin the season in the first place. And, um, you know, kind of before Virgil van Dijk arrived at Liverpool, it was always Liverpool has this great attack, but they surrender as many goals as they score. Um, and there are some opportunities for some young players to step up. But let's kind of start, Marcus, with the challenge that led to his ACL injury by Jordan Pickford, the English national team goalie, and uh, kind of Jordan Pickford in and of himself is a kind of the butt of jokes sometimes, you say, but just uh, an interesting career for him. But, you know, just what did you see from the challenge? And, um, you know, wh- where, where do we go from here? Uh, the challenge itself, I mean, it was uh, English – Soccer writers have uh, great terms to describe them. Uh, somewhat uh, agricultural, it could be called, uh, robust. I saw it as uh, very clumsy. Uh, yeah. You know, clumsy and unnecessary. Uh, Pickford's come under a lot of criticism uh, for the challenge. Just, I mean, it, it looked bad in real time. And then when you watch it on slow motion, it's, uh, it's even worse. Um, it was high. It was uh, mistimed, misplaced, and it, yeah, devastating results. Uh, Pickford wasn't given a card, red card, in uh, during the game. VAR looked at it during the game. Uh, they found nothing wrong with it, uh, other than you know beyond a foul. Uh, Post game VAR look at it. I guess exonerated him again. So uh, yeah, the laws and the processes that exist didn't punish Pickford, but uh, the challenge itself, I'll stick with the, the word clumsy, um, clumsy with devastating consequences uh, for Liverpool and for the player, uh, Virgil van Dyke. Uh, 
he had a streak going of 93 consecutive Premier League games dating back to January 2018 when he joined Liverpool. Uh, he was one of the most durable, reliable players over the last uh, going on three years now. And yeah, it's going to be absolutely devastating for him. There's no word about when he might be back. Uh, if it's Liverpool didn't specify the injury itself. They're calling it ACL damage, uh, not calling it a tear, yeah. not calling it a rupture. Uh, so it's really hard to pin down when he might be back. Um, here we are. It's October 22nd. Uh, mm-hmm. I would be surprised if he plays again before May. Um, and yeah, it's a big doubt for the Euros, uh, big, big doubt for, um, you know, his uh, international uh, play this summer, even when he, if and when he returns to fitness before the Euros, will he be sharp? No. Um, will he be all the way back? No. I mean, you can get back on the field after an ACL injury within six to eight months, but it generally takes upwards of a year uh, before players are really uh, back to their previous levels. So uh, I'm thinking that we're not going to see the real Virgil van Dyke for club or country until uh, at least the start of next season. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the great shames. I mean, if there, if there is a more, uh, it, I don't think there could be any more consequential injury for any player in the premier league than Virgil van Dyke. Um, and, you know, my reaction to it was like, wow, this is, uh, it's rare that an injury becomes a story this big, but uh, here we are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you kind of said it all Marcus and it's, I think it's more devastating for Virgil van Dyke than it is for Liverpool. Although it is still devastating for Liverpool, obviously. Um, They have a lot of matches coming up, but I kind of look at it as, you know, uh, even if, depending on the degree of how bad his ACL is, you know, even when he comes back, is he ever going to return to this sort of all world center back status that he had as a 27, 28 year old? Um, And my guess is no. And we talked about Liverpool, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, kind of before the Premier League season started and said, you know, are they in any sort of trouble with trying to defend the Premier League title? Certainly now at this point they are. But, um, you know, I kind of said at the time, like, it's not quite time to retool everything. You know, they have one more shot at kind of defending the title. And then after that, they'll, they'll have suddenly an aging roster. Now, I think you're immediately like I'm hitting the panic button. Panic button is on. And, uh, you know, I think the red light should be flashing and um, you still have your like formidable attack, but I think Liverpool has to immediately kind of, you know, be looking at the big picture and saying, okay, how do we turn what we have into sustainable success, you know, on a you know five-year plan or whatever like that. Yeah, my uh, one of my immediate reactions to the news of his injury was that I would say the future is now for Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool knows that Virgil van Dijk is 29. Uh, he's not going to be all world forever. 
and you know, one of the big challenges is how do you replace somebody who is, you know, playing like uh, the level he's reached over the last two years, you know, some of the, yeah. some of the highest I've ever seen, you can almost call it uh, goat levels. Um, that that's just how well he has been playing. Uh, and Van Dyke is fundamental to everything Liverpool does. Um, they like to press the field high, uh, you know, really, really compact, push it up. Part of that is because his speed and reliability and ability to win everything in the air uh, gives them, you know, they can play, they can play that way. So it's really going to be interesting to see how Liverpool style changes without Virgil van Dyke because there's no one for one replacement. I don't think one exists in the world. Uh, right. That's part of why Liverpool has been so successful is because they have Virgil van Dyke and taking him out. That's going to change that. That's going to have consequences, not only on the defensive line, but throughout the team. Uh, yeah. You know, Joel Matip and Joe Gomez are the only two recognized specialist center backs on Liverpool's roster. Uh, Fabinho dropped back there uh, yesterday in the Champions League win over Ajax. He had an excellent clearance, uh, you know, and, you know, everyone says some of the uh, those who saw the game say he looks like a natural back there. But uh, take Fabinho out of the midfield and that's going to change things in that area of the field as right. well. So, uh Short answer, Liverpool's defense is going to be weaker and that is going to make it much, much harder to defend the Premier League title. Yeah, the one thing I will say about what's going on um, with the Liverpool back line is like Joe Gomez, 23 years old. Trent Alexander-Arnold is 22. Um, And so those are kind of like two young guys that maybe you can kind of build a long-term uh, you know, big time defensive back with uh, it's a good starting place at least. And um, again, you know, it's just kind of, it's really just a shame because it's for me and I hate to be so doom and gloom about it, but I feel like we had one of the best or we had the best defensive player in the game still in his prime snatched out of his prime and maybe never to return to it. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm just being too dramatic about it. Maybe he'll come back and, you know, we see so many players, you know, the life of the soccer player career is extended now than it, it, um, in the past. So, you know, he could very well return to, um, you know, the form that he was at, but, uh, yeah, his career is definitely going to have two chapters. Um, there's going to be before this injury and after this injury, can he come back to being the player he was before? Uh, yes, it's possible. Um, I think the mix of his uh, his athletic ability um, and his professionalism and then the sports science aspect, um, it is possible to return to those levels, but uh, you're right. It's going to be, it, it's going to be harder and there could be this, um, I don't know, one year, two year dip in his, uh, you know, his form might take a hit. His, his form will take a hit. His confidence might take a hit. Uh, this is a, <laughs> is one of the most serious injuries you can have. So uh, it's, it's really tough to know uh, what's going to happen, but I don't think we're going to see him on the field before the spring. Um, yeah. And 
Yeah, that's it's bad news for Liverpool. Also bad news for the for the Netherlands because yeah, they are bad. a uh, I guess resurgent uh, team on the international scene, and yeah, I expected them to be among the contenders to win Euro twenty twenty. Take Van Dyke out of it. Uh, bye bye Netherlands. That's yeah, really a shame. Uh, the Netherlands actually dropped two spaces in the FIFA World Rankings um, that were released today. And I, I wonder if that has anything to do with Virgil van Dijk. But, um, uh, probably not. L- losing to Mexico might... Uh, I'm not sure how they got on in the last international break, but... Um, they did lose to Mexico. It was friendly. Lose to but... Mexico. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they do the FIFA rankings. I know. It's a weird... Top of my head. Algorithm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, it is tough. I mean, as we said, the Premier League title race seemed to be pretty open before this anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, certainly even more so now. I don't, you know, we're not going to see Liverpool run on any sort of gigantic streak of, you know, um, matches without a loss like we did last year. Um, but, you know, I mean, Right now, Marcus, you kind of called it Everton at the top of the table. Uh, so that's it's it is wide open. And Man City down at 11th place. Uh, and when we ex- were expecting Liverpool versus Man City and basically nobody else. So, yeah, the year of year of coronavirus is just full of surprises. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything else you want to say about Van Dyke before we move on to? An, another somber topic <laughs> no no let's uh <laughs> let's let's keep waiting in the misery yeah okay so uh staying in england sort of um is mesut ozil i guess is exiled from the arsenal squad i mean this has many different layers so i want to be very careful with what i say uh because it's also um very serious issue and marcus you certainly know more about it than me um, but I will say like Mesut Ozil is a very high profile player for Arsenal, um, and has not really been participating in the squad and Arsenal. Meanwhile, you know, is right in the thick of things in the premier league and, uh, champions league. So, uh, Marcus, you know, uh, what, what's going on here with, with Ozil? Mesut Ozil is Arsenal's highest profile, highest paid player, uh, and he can't get a game. For some reason, uh, when Mikel Arteta took over last December, Ozil, uh, I think he played or started in 11 of his first 12 games. Then the coronavirus shutdown hit, and he hasn't appeared in a game since. Um, when it comes to technique and ability on the ball, Ozil is Arsenal's best player. Uh, does he fit into the entire structure and way of playing that Mikel Arteta is trying to uh, instill? No, probably not. But uh, Arsenal and the loyal listeners of this podcast know I watch most Arsenal games Uh they are struggling with creativity, struggling to create chances, and they have uh, some pretty good forwards, but 
nobody's getting them the ball. Uh, Ozil signed a new contract in 2018 that lasts until 2021. Uh, and he had this statement yesterday um, for the first time he's spoken about, he's spoken publicly about his exile from the team. Uh, he said on Instagram, upon signing my new contract in 2018, I pledge my loyalty and allegiance to the club that I love, Arsenal, and it saddens me that this has not been reciprocated. As I have just found out, loyalty is hard to come by nowadays. Uh, and really a damning statement. Uh, he doesn't single anybody out, but Mesut Ozil is at odds with Arsenal Football Club, and uh, I think Arsene Wenger, his uh, two previous coaches ago, said it best. He said, it's just a great waste, uh, waste of money for the club, waste of talent uh, for the player. And it's a shame because this has been going on for, uh, Ozil has been in and out of the team now for about two years. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame. He's, um, he's a gifted player, uh, World Cup winner, but the one of the most creative players uh, that the Premier League has seen in recent history but he can't get into the team. Uh, now, Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, spoke about it yesterday at, uh, his pre, uh, at his press conference ahead of Arsenal's Europa League game against Rapid Vienna. My job is to get the best out of every player to contribute to the team performance. And here I feel at the moment today that, I've, that I failed because I want the best possible message for the team to do it and in some moments I was able to get close to that and at the moment um, I haven't been able to do it because I have to make the decision to leave him out of the squad. Honestly, I take full responsibility. I have to be the one getting the best out of the players is my responsibility and again it's nothing related to anything or any behavior or like I read the pay cuts. It's not true. It's my decision. If someone has to blame me and it will happen when we lose football matches. My responsibility. Okay, so that was Mikel Arteta, Arsenal manager. Uh, kind of a run-of-the-mill managerial answer there. Uh, and, I mean, Marcus, you were kind of alluding to it before, but there's kind of a little bit more going on than meets the eye, and you kind of have to go, go and find it as a soccer fan. Uh, but... You know, you have gone and found it. But, Marcus, what exactly is kind of really going on here with Otsel? Well, no one really, and that's, uh, you know, no one outside of uh, Ozil and Arsenal and Mikel Arteta really knows what's happening. Uh, he's training with the team as usual. He's picking up his paycheck. But what's really happening? So, Mikel Arteta, uh, in part of his press conference, he use the word a uh, football decision. And I reached out on uh, one of my many Arsenal chat groups. Whenever you hear somebody say it's a football decision, you can almost, you can bet the farm that it's not a football decision. <laughs> so last night, or really this morning in, uh, in the UK, in today's papers, here's what came out, was that Mesut Ozil believes reportedly that his 2019, his December 2019 comments criticizing the silence on China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims in the Northwest Xinjiang province 
are the reason why he's being frozen out of Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal has a lot of uh, commercial interest in China. After he made those comments, China refused to show their next game against Manchester City on their state TV. Uh, the Chinese FA and the Chinese Foreign Ministry criticized Ozil. They removed him from the Chinese editions of the Pro Evolution Soccer video game. And they erased his profile from uh, Weibo, one of the leading social media platforms, on which he had 4 million followers. So uh, that's a story that just came out. Here we are on uh, October 22nd. And, you know, it's it's been... It's been sourced by some of the leading writers uh, over in England. So it's, you know, something that there, there could be something to it. Now, of course, yeah. Arsenal hasn't commented on it. Ozil hasn't commented on it. But it seems like that could be a reason. Uh, Mikel Arteta, um, even uh, Unai Emery before him, they were, you know, they talk about Ozil's character. They're saying he's a good guy. Great to have around. Uh, his teammates speak highly of him. Uh, they say he's been training well, hasn't been missing sessions as he had might have been in previous seasons. So is the China question behind why Mesut Ozil can't get into the Arsenal team? It might be, um, which is you know, a fascinating example of the global reach of uh, these teams and their commitments and responsibilities. It, it almost is uh, similar to what happened in the NBA. When, right, uh, I was going to say. Former Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey spoke out in uh, support of the Hong Kong protesters, and the NBA has been trying to repair the damage ever since. Uh, that was, what, a year ago? Um, actually, it was over a year ago. And by the way, Daryl Morey is now gone from the Houston Rockets. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, th th there could be something to it. Um, but, yeah, fascinating story, I think. Yeah, and uh, I mean, what are you supposed to say when you kind of, uh, you know, put all the pieces together? Um, it's, it's a very tricky situation. And, you know, the NBA example – is kind of a good example of, you know, there's somebody that did speak out and, um, you know, kind of more or less paid the consequences. And, uh, you know, is the same thing going on with Mesut Ozil now? I mean, how much sort of power, uh, you know, who is holding the power? Is it even really up to Mikel Arteta to play Ozil or not? I mean, is... Um, if yeah. I had to guess the answer, I would say no. Um, yeah. I think the problem between Ozil and Arsenal is much, uh, it's at a higher level than, uh, yeah. than the manager. Um, I thought with the departure of uh, Rahul Senlay, who was the former head of football, he left Arsenal over the summer, I want to say in July or August. I thought with his departure, that could open a door for Ozil. But uh, it's been slammed shut this season, and nobody knows why. Arteta is saying the things that managers have to say, but uh, it's you know it's two words: a shame and a waste. Yeah, I mean, and so this kind of brings up you know what's next for Odell. Uh, the January transfer window is coming up. Uh, could a deal go through in that time? Uh, but I mean, it's also, you have to ask the question what other teams 
won't sign him perhaps because of these comments. Um, and, uh, that's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, what we know is that he'll probably just sit and, you know, he'll be in the stands for every Arsenal game until at least the January transfer window, his contract expires next summer in 2021. So he will be gone by then. Uh, Arsenal will pay him a hefty salary, but they will save money on, uh, performance and, and appearance bonuses and other incentives. Um, yeah. But there is reported interest from Major League Soccer. Uh, he His representatives uh, reportedly last year spoke to D.C. United. So that could be an interesting move for him uh, going to D.C. They have a new stadium and they are in the center of power. So, um, yeah, uh, stay, stay tuned on that because if Ozil turns up in uh, – in DC, I don't think it'll just be a uh, soccer story. It could, it, it it could develop into a geopolitical story. Oh well, you know, nothing surprises me anymore, Marcus. Uh, Nor it, should it. Yeah, it's been that way a while now, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, certainly uh, to say nothing else. I mean, it's just a crazy story, um, and. You know, one that we'll have to keep an eye on, uh, certainly once January comes around. And uh, if he ever starts to play again, that would, you know, that'll be a story in and of itself. But, uh, okay, I mean, let's let's move on to the the kind of one positive part of our show today. Um, The matches of the weekend, we got a couple of pretty good ones kind of headlining the weekend. Marcus, you want to go first? Yeah, El Clasico. Barcelona versus Real Madrid, 10 a.m. Saturday. Uh, you can watch it in the United States on BN Sports. I mean, this is a game that the world stops to watch, even though Barcelona and Real Madrid right now are not what they were uh, three years ago. They're not what they were one year ago. Um, you know, recent, El, recent editions of El Clasico have been lacking in uh, some star power. The departure of Ronaldo was, uh, you know, that was that was huge. But also, Barcelona and Real Madrid both have fallen down a couple levels. Uh, they were, for so long, two of the, you know, best three to five teams in the world. Uh, last year, Barcelona was in the Champions League quarterfinal. Real Madrid went out in the round of 16. Uh, they're, they're, they're both are entering new eras, and they're trying to get back to the top. Um, so that being said, Barcelona versus Real Madrid games are always consequential. They always have a lot of attention and yeah, it's a little early this year, but, uh, or, you know, this, uh, this first class of the season, but I'll be watching 10 AM. Do you think either team needs to win the game any more so than the other? Uh, yes, I will say Real Madrid because of their uh, Champions League performance. They lost to Shakhtar Donetsk at home. Shakhtar was missing 10 first-team players due to a positive COVID-19 test. So, um, yeah, that was that was the real shock of the uh, match day one of the Champions League. Um, yeah, I'll say uh, Real Madrid. I just get the sense that there might be some pressure on Zinedine Zidane 
um, things can unravel very quickly at Real yeah. Madrid. I'm not saying he's on the ropes, but, um, you know, this is his second stint at the club uh, as, as manager. And yes, they won the league uh, last year in very, um, let's call it professional, albeit not spectacular fashion. Uh, they won La Liga, but yeah, they um, Real Madrid is not firing on all cylinders. Zidane said after yesterday's loss that he he believes he can fix this. Um, he doesn't have a lot of time because when Barcelona plays Real Madrid, uh, those games often have consequences for players and coaches. Yeah, I was and, and sometimes gonna, presidents. I was going to say, yeah, sorry. Yeah, he um, he kind of ran Gareth Bale out of town, and uh, I don't know. Gareth Bale is a pretty good player, and if I feel like Gareth Bale is just sitting up in London, kind of smiling, uh, as uh, and will continue to smile if Real Madrid doesn't turn it around. Yeah. Uh, but my match of the weekend is up in the Premier League: Manchester United versus Chelsea, twelve thirty p.m. Eastern on Saturday on Big NBC. Um, uh, what's exciting for me about uh, this matchup is. Uh, surprise, surprise, Christian Pulisic is back. Uh, he's played um, almost the full 90 in two straight matches, including Chelsea's nil-nil uh, draw in the Champions League match day one against Sevilla. Um, so uh, he d- hasn't looked quite himself just yet, but, um, you know, he's back and Chelsea kind of vying for position in the Premier League. Uh, sitting at eighth right now, while Man United is down in 15th. I mean, only four matches in, but, uh, you know, just a couple of big six clubs trying to right their ships with plenty of question marks um, up and down their rosters. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be more storylines to come out of it. Um, Man United just pulled off a win against PSG uh, again at PSG. So, um they're kind of on the upward trend, I guess you'd say. But yeah, uh, and that's just in addition to kind of a really solid weekend of soccer. Um, but Marcus, I kind of got an update, live update for you here. AS Roma is losing one nothing to Young Boys in the first half of the Europa League matchup. Oh boy! Uh, they, they surrendered a penalty in the 14th minute. Yeah, step away. <laughs> step away from the light, Mark. <laughs> But all right, that kind of does it. I, I guess I'll uh, I'll end the podcast here and step into my uh, AS Roman misery. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Marcus, I want to thank you for joining me. And to all the listeners out there, uh, be sure to keep up with our podcast at nesson.com slash podcast. And to uh, follow us on Spotify or iTunes by searching Nesson Soccer Podcast. And you can subscribe download like comment do all those things let us know how we're doing um and you know stay tuned we'll be back